So thankful to be back tonight. Lord, we just pray you'll uh, bless our service tonight. We pray we'll all learn something from your word. We pray you'll uh, just speak to hearts. We pray that you'll be with the requests we've heard. We just pray you'll be with uh, Marcus help and uh, be with him and uh, all the kids that are sick right now and just people dealing with the cold and things. We pray you'll help them to get better. We pray you'll continue to be with uh, Miss Amy and her health. And Lord, we just pray you'll continue to just bless the work here at this church. We pray you'll help us to... Uh, just continue to uh, to win souls and to do everything we can to just make a difference and uh, try to change people's lives. And we just pray that your um, hand of blessing will be on everything. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, before we do announcements, I want to mention, though, uh, one good news. Uh, we got an electrician, and he's already started. So uh, I had him, um, I got a hold of one, and I had him scheduled, and they, were, they weren't even going to come to look at it until August 9th. And then... He called me this morning and said he can come by this morning. So he just see what's going on. So I was like, well, yeah, good. And then uh, he came in, and I was like, we're ready to go in this. And he was like, wait, I can start right now. I'm like, okay. So, um, yeah, if you paid attention down there, there was a big mess with all the conduit and outlets and things everywhere. There was Nothing was up to code. Uh, when they did the electrical inspection, you know, nothing passed down there. But thankfully they didn't, you know, they just told us, that they'll just list it as under construction. So they weren't like pressuring us to get it all fixed uh, because, you know, the exit lights, none of that was right. But anyway, that they're, they're taking care of all that, all those bathrooms down there. I didn't even notice this. They didn't have any outlets in there. 
guess they tore all that out when they tore the walls out and they said, uh, you know, you got to have that in there. And then the light switches were on the outside so people could shut the lights off on you <laughs> while you're in there. So they're, they're moving that. So anyway, uh, so that that's a big blessing. So that, they, I think they might be done with it all this week. And um, I've, already, I've got the flooring people scheduled to come out to give us an estimate uh, on that Friday. So we're probably going to get this job done quick. So thank the Lord for that. That's a blessing. And uh, at least in the meantime, that I went ahead and told me to get started on that just because technically we have to do that anyway. And uh, But that was that was step one. So anyway, uh, the only other announcements I want to mention, don't forget we have a meeting this Sunday night uh, after the evening service. And then uh, July 25th, we'll be having the pizza and game night after the evening service. So those are all the announcements that I wanted to mention. So let's go ahead and have another song. Remain seated. We'll turn to page number 326. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, page number 326. We'll do the first and last verse of this one. 326. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter number 3. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. 
And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Gergeshites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon an heap. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city of Adam, that is beside Zeratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. All right, so we are in Joshua chapter 3. And uh, this week I want to just kind of show you some, uh, I guess, kind of some symbolic things in this chapter. And then after we chapter, I want to kind of uh, point out something that is just kind of illustrate uh, something about the character of God, uh, something I actually preached about, uh, I, I covered it briefly a while back when uh, going through the book of Mark, and just showing how there's just a consistent message in the Bible uh, that's just all one author, and it's just a reminder too that you know God wants us just relying on Him, keeping our eyes on Him, so uh, uh, starting in, or so before we get into this, last week, we, just a reminder, we looked at the two spies and how they brought back a good report, and we see they learned from the mistake of the previous generation. And so Israel has already made the decision to obey God in their hearts. They believe God that He is going to uh, deliver these people in their hands, that God is going to give them victory. They believe God. They put their faith and they are now about to begin to do what God has told them to do. And what they're about to do is something they should have done 40 years ago. And now we're about to see one of the great miracles in the Bible 
of parting of water again, of the Jordan River. And we had the parting of the Red Sea that the previous generation saw. Now we have the parting of the Jordan River. And what's interesting too, remember the Jordan River parted two more times later in the Bible with Elijah and then with Elisha. So uh, Jordan River is kind of a, an amazing place where some cool things have happened. But throughout the Bible, we see all kinds of examples. We see types uh, that can teach us lessons about things like salvation. So we always want to make sure that when we do this, when we look at types, when we look at things that are symbolic, we don't want to read too much into those things because eventually every type breaks down and falls apart. Okay? We shouldn't and we should never settle our doctrine by types. We don't want to do that. But there's nothing wrong with us illustrating clear doctrine through stories in the Bible. Okay? So it's okay to do that. That is completely appropriate. In fact, we see even Jesus doing that when people were complaining about the disciples uh, plucking corn and eating on the Sabbath day. Jesus brought up David when he ate the uh, bread in the temple or the tabernacle, which wasn't lawful to eat. And, there, and Jesus is basically using that as an illustration to show that these laws weren't made to bind people. They were made to help people. And if you're going to go and just put an unnecessary burden on somebody, that's just a bad thing to do. And, you know, and, and a good example of that, remember David, when he ate that bread, him and his men, they were on the run, they were hungry, you know. And so, uh, you know, obviously we don't want to just make light of the things of God. But at the, at the end of the day, like, I think we should be polite in the sanctuary. We should treat it with some respect. You know, and if we want to have rules like no running, being maniacs, that's fine. No screaming like they do in camp meetings and things. But if the place gets caught on fire, by all means, run, scream. We, you know, we, we can break the rule at that point. Y'all understand that? That rule was meant to show reverence. But if a situation calls for us to maybe break that rule, let's break the rule. Because we don't want to kill people, you know, because of these rules. So, um, so the thing is, that's kind of how the Pharisees were. You know, they'd rather just starve to death than to break one of their traditions. And that's, that wasn't the point. And so Jesus would use these illustrations like that. So it's okay for us to do that. But again, we don't settle our doctrine on these things. And I do, I, I believe it's appropriate for us to go through the, this story and to talk about these things and to use it to illustrate Bible doctrine. So the different positions that I've heard uh, when it comes to the symbolism of the crossing of the red of the Jordan, is some people uh, believe it's a picture of going to heaven, going into the promised land, and most where most of that doctrine comes from is songs. There's a lot of songs about crossing over Jordan, and those are usually songs about heaven. Most people don't. I've never heard anybody really preach it that way, but I've heard a lot of people sing it that way. And you know, I uh, said so again, it's a symbol. You don't have to get super dogmatic on it, but uh, I don't think that's the best picture. Some believe it's a picture of salvation going into the promised land. Um, again, I'm not going to beat somebody up if they use that as long as they don't pervert the salvation doctrine while doing that. Okay? I tend to think it's more of, of the picture of the victorious Christian life is what I believe. Because a person can get saved but just never have any victory in their life. They can never do anything for God. You know, you have, and there's a lot of people out there like that. A lot of the people we get saved out soul winning, they're saved, but until they start following the Lord, until they start obeying his commands, until they do things like getting baptized, their life's not going to get better. 
just because they got saved. They're going to go to heaven. Thank God for that. And their sins will not be imputed unto them. But they need to start living that faith, practicing that faith. And then I believe when they do, God will give them victory in their life. And I believe, uh, figuratively speaking, they can kind of enter that promised land. And there's challenges in the promised land. You know, it's not going to be easy street, but I think that's the best picture. So let's keep those things in mind. So let's start reading in verse 1. It says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. So this is a huge moment right here. Okay, we read these stories sometimes, and it's like nobody. No, they're about to enter in the promised land. They've been waiting forty years for this day. Forty years. This is a big day. So you know what everybody's probably asking? All right, Joshua, when are we going? When's the time to go? You know, and, and, and so everybody's kind of wondering. So Joshua tells them, watch for that Ark of the Covenant. When you see those priests come through with that, with that, that's when we're going to go. We're following the Ark of the Covenant. And I believe the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of the presence of God. And you know what? The presence of God is something they always should be following. The presence of God is something we should always be looking for, something we should always be following. We should want to do whatever we've got to do to have the presence of God in our life. We should let Him lead us. We should follow the Lord. And, you know, it'd be a little easier following guys carrying the Ark of the Covenant but at the same time, we don't have that. We do these things by faith. But we should always have that mentality. We want to be in the presence of God. We ought to have an attitude like Obed-Edom, the man who they left the Ark of the Covenant in his house, and the Lord greatly blessed his house. But you know what's interesting about Obed-Edom? Look him up. I preached a whole sermon on it one time. Every time you see his name mentioned in the Bible, and he wasn't even a Jew, he was always around the Ark of, the God, uh, of God. He ended up working in the house uh, with the house of the Lord. His family continued working with the house of the Lord. He was always, and so it's like Obed-Edom, he realized, man, the presence of God is where it's at. And, you know, when it came time for them to take it, he let them take it. But you know what he said? I want to be as close to that as I can possibly get. You know what he was? He was a porter for the house of God. You know what that is? It's like a doorkeeper. You know, he can't, he's not a Levite. He's not a priest. He can't go in there. But you know what he said? I'm going to get as close as I can. And he got a job that got him as close as one could possibly get without being a priest. What was he doing? He's going after the presence of God. You know, what if more Jews would have had that attitude? And you know what? God greatly continued to greatly bless this house. You go and you're reading the genealogies. It talks about all the sons that he had. And then you know what it says? And this is after the ark has gone from his house. It names all the sons that he had. And it says, for the Lord blessed him. I mean, that's just an amazing story right there. And uh, that'll preach. I mean, you know, we feel like preaching that message again right now. But anyway, so verse 4, it says, And yet there shall be space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. So he's telling them to follow up, but keep some distance, because, you know, when you're going to be moving everything you have and moving your whole family um, you know, traveling like this would be a very difficult thing. And so, he's, you know, you want to uh, keep some distance so you can kind of make sure you know which way you're going to know the best path to take when it comes to your animals and all that stuff. And you don't just want 
to assume you know where he's going to go. And God's telling him this because this way that you're going to go, this isn't a way that you've gone before. You're about to uh, blaze a new trail here. You're about to go away that you've never done. And so back during this time, or so um, in verse 5, it says, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So back during this time, whenever the presence of God was going to be near, they were out of respect and out of reverence for God were supposed to prepare themselves physically and spiritually. Now turn back to Exodus chapter 19. Now we don't think about this stuff very much as New Testament Christians today. And we'll say a little bit about why here in a little bit. But back then, this was a very important thing. It was very important that if God was going to be near their presence, that they be clean. Physically and spiritually. How many of you all made sure to take a bath before you came to church? Or, you know, or to check your deodorant and things. You know, how, how, how often do we even really think about that? And you know what? Let's just be honest. If we do think about that, it's because we don't want to stink out the person sitting next to us. We don't really think about that when it comes to God, do we? Okay? And I'm not saying you really need to. But let, let, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But Exodus 19 verse 13 says, Thou shalt, this is when God was going to come down on the mountain. It says, There shall not a, a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live when the trumpet soundeth long, that they come not up to the mount. So God said, when I come to the mount, don't go up there. Don't touch. If anybody goes up there trying to take a peek, kill them. That's what God said. And it says, and Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, be ye ready against the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning, that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. So what Moses was trying to get these people to do, he was trying to get them to sanctify themselves and to cleanse themselves so they would be fit to be in the presence of God. Now what's interesting, they didn't do a good enough job because of how holy God is. And you know what? When the trumpet sounded along, God didn't let any of them come up there. You know what God did? God kept them down there. God let Moses come up and God gave Moses a law. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And he had him take it back down and say, you tell the people, they, this is what they've got to do. And we all know the story. They couldn't do it, could they? And God knew they couldn't do it, but God gave them that law to show them, this is why you need a Savior. You can't do this. You can't be clean enough. You can't be, you can't be good enough. And so the thing is, back during this time, they... Not all this has been revealed yet, but what they would do out of respect and out of reverence for a holy God, they would clean themselves up. Now, why don't we worry about this today? Okay. You know why? Because we have already been sanctified by the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that makes us sanctified. Now, folks, by all means, take a bath, you know, if you can before church. But at the same time, too, if you get off work late or something, and you come to work smelling a little bit or a little dirty, you know what? Do it. Because at the end of the day, you're sanctified by the blood of Christ. And shame on you if you think you're fit to be in the presence of God just because you took a shower. By now, you should know better than to think that your shower can make you fit to stand before a holy God. So we don't need to worry. So that's why we don't worry about those things. And if, you know, but at the same time, you know, 
there's nothing wrong for us, with us to just show common respect and reverence too. You know, we should at least make sure our heart is prepared. But if we fall short in a physical sense, we're covered by the blood, aren't we? And so I'm not going to come to church just sloppy because I can, you know. But at the, at the same time, as long as your heart's prepared, that's what's important. You know, that's what's important. But um, often people, and they're okay if they do this, if they're just, well, you know, I'm going to church. You know, I want to be respectable or whatever. You know, they can do that just out of respect as long as they understand. At the end of the day, the only reason you can get in here without dropping dead is because of the blood of Christ. We don't want, ever want to forget that. But verse 6 says, And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. So we've got a new leader now. We've got a new generation. And just as God proved himself with Moses, God's about to do the same thing with Joshua. God's going God's to gonna do a great work here. You know what? And God was going to use Joshua because God's trying to magnify Joshua. God's trying to elevate Joshua because God wants the people to follow Joshua. And you know, one thing we need to understand as Christians, we don't want to, we should never try to magnify ourselves. God will exalt us in due time. Okay? God will exalt us in due time. When God's ready, uh, if God wants uh, people following you, you know what? God will exalt you and God will reveal it and he'll make it real clear to everybody. There were people that, remember when people questioned Moses? Remember what happened to them? God said, I'm going to show everybody who I really want in charge. And you remember what he did? He opened the ground up and swallowed the other people. I I wish that still happened during power struggles and church and things like that. But, you know, we're just... uh, God did it back then so he wouldn't have to do it all the time, right? But, and and uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't work that way anymore. But, but either way, God will still exalt when he feels necessary. And so God's about to do that with Joshua. And it says in verse 8, And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. So what was going to take place in the promised land was a work of the Lord. God saying, I'm going to do this. You're going to cross that river and I'm going to do this great work. And you know what? what when God saves us and we make that decision to be obedient and to follow his lead and to follow his will, guess who's doing the work? God's doing the work. Without me, you can do nothing, God said. The Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so when, we, when, uh, when they're going into the promised land and God is winning all these battles for them, while well, they're pretty much doing nothing but just being obedient. Listen, when you're, all you're doing is marching around a city, you're not really doing anything. But when you're being obedient, you're doing a ton. You're doing, you're, doing a, you're doing a great work when you're just being obedient. And let me tell you something. As a church, you know, as a pastor, I can work harder than anybody 
But if I'm not being obedient to God, nothing's going to get accomplished. But you know, the truth is, if I will just follow God, then God can build the church. God can do a great work. And that's what we've got to do as a church. You know, we've got to just figure out, all right, what do we got to do to keep our eyes on that Ark of the Covenant? What do we got to do to keep our eyes on the presence of God, you know, and to follow these things to make sure God does these things for us because we can't be going forward and just doing these things on our own power. We're going to mess it up. You know, we're, we're going to mess it all up. So whatever we've got to do to stay in the presence of God, that's got to be our, that's got to be our focus. And we got to just keep our eyes on, on the Lord when it comes to everything that we do. And so God doesn't need the skilled. God doesn't need those that are special. He needs those who are obedient. God needs those who have faith. That's what God is looking for. And God can do a great work with, you know, the unskilled, you know, with the low IQ, with the, I mean, we can have all kinds of problems and God can do a great work. And I've seen many churches in my life, right? You see the work that God's doing there and it's like, how are they getting that done? And you know what? Usually when I, I think God wants to use people like that, because when I've seen some of the people I've seen God do a great work through, I look at it and I just say, you know what? God must be doing something. And then, you know what it makes, you know what it makes me do? It makes me say, all right, I want, what are they doing in their relationship with God that I'm not doing? I'm serving the same God they're serving. And you know what it does? It inspires me to just want to get closer to God instead of being more like an individual. So again, man, if we can, if we can just, I mean, stay, I mean, just focused on the presence of God and just follow him and be amazing what could be accomplished. So verse 11, it says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now, therefore, take you 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man, and it shall come to pass. As soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap. So this is a truly great wonder. Okay, Parting of water is great. Now, this is different, though. Then the parting of the Red Sea, you know, when you, you have the parting of the Red Sea, you know, that's kind of still water and you've got a wall of water on both sides. But here it's a, it's a flowing river and it's during a time when it's overflowing its banks, when there's a, when there's a lot of water going through and it goes up on a heap that, that would have been cool to see. I still haven't seen a Hollywood depiction of the parting of the Jordan yet. And, um, I don't you know. Say you shouldn't watch those movies. I know, but it's just you'd like to see what they could do. And I, I watched that entire Christian Bale Exodus movie. It was horrible. It was blasphemous. And I was angry through the entire thing and how unbiblical that was. But I kept watching because I wanted to see the parting of the Red Sea because I was like, you know, with technology, this is gonna be this is gonna look awesome. And they messed that up. They literally just made it like the water just like went away, you know, like like low tide or something. And then later this big tsunami comes. It wasn't even a wall of water. I mean, it was just it was the most awful thing I ever saw in my life. Do not watch that movie. Garbage. Uh, if I ever watch that movie again, it's going to be because I need to get myself real fired up and angry about something so I can go beat somebody up. And that will do that movie will do it. It was that bad. But anyway, I don't know how I got sidetracked on that. But it would have been cool to see uh, what this would have looked like. 
This was a, a truly great miracle. And it's so interesting, too. You know, the Bible just lays out the facts. Because, again, this is God's word. God's not amazed by these things. God makes a bigger deal in the Bible about people who just showed some faith. It'll, like, say so much stuff about people in the Bible who showed faith. But then you have, like, the parting of the Red Sea. You have the you know, parting of the Jordan River. Yeah, I, got just, yeah, I just did that. Because he's the creator of the universe. He spoke the stars into existence. So, you know, God's not like, man, I got to find a really good way to put this in the Bible. You know, that's, that's just not how he works. And that just shows how amazing our God is. So, um, so this is, so what happened here, while very similar to what happened in the previous generation, it wasn't exactly the same, was it? Okay, notice how this time too, the priests actually went and stood in the water for a little bit. So, it's the same kind of miracle, but there were differences, weren't there? And keep that in mind for a little bit later. And I think that's interesting, too, because remember what God said. He said, when you follow that ark, you know, keep some distance because you don't know the, the way that it's going. You've not gone that way before. Don't assume you know what they're going to do. Don't follow it too closely. You don't know for sure which way it's going to go because God's, while he's going to do a similar work to what he did in the previous generation, it's not exactly the same. There, there's some differences. Keep all that in mind. So verse 14 says, And it came to pass, when the people removed their, from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as they that bear the Ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth his banks all the time of harvest. So um, right here, I have no doubt, God performed this miracle during a time when it would be hardest to cross over. Because remember in the previous chapter, the, the, you know, the people there in Jericho, they were scared of the children of Israel. They'd been scared for 40 years. But you know what? During this time, they were probably kind of at ease thinking, well, you know what? It's the rainy season. The Jordan's overflowing. We're safe right now. They can't get across right now. And it makes sense that God would do a miracle like this during the time when it would be the hardest. You know, he, he didn't do it during a drought because then people would just say, you know, they were able to get across because of that. No, God did it during the rainy season, I think partly to take the, the enemy by surprise, but again, too, just to show so everybody knows God got them into the land. God did that. They didn't do it themselves. So, um, and this was a testimony to the Canaanites that God was on their side because they... And think about it too, they were already scared because of what happened 40 years ago. So imagine what was going on in that town when all of a sudden they hear the Jordan parted for them. I mean, they had to know they were dead. But that's why I'm convinced at this point this city was just reprobate. That they, you know, they, they, they knew God, but they glorified him not as God. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. And you know what? God just gave them over to a reprobate mind. And so even at this point, when they're, the Jordan River's crossed, I mean, all common sense would tell you you're dead meat. Go beg for mercy. But we only see Rahab. She's the only one we see uh, begging for mercy. The outcast of the town. The only one in town who probably wasn't lifted up with pride like most reprobates. Just kind of, kind of an interesting thing there. But uh, verse 16 says that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far uh, from the city 
Adam that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground under the people were passed clean over Jordan. So this miracle here, it leaves no doubt in the minds of the people in Israel that God was with them, and it left no doubt in their mind who would get the glory for them getting into the land. And again, that's the way God typically does things. Okay, When it comes to our salvation, God, I believe, chose on purpose to make salvation completely free and without works. Why? So we couldn't boast. So we would actually give Him the glory since He's the one that actually deserves all the glory. I think when it comes to um, the victorious life as a Christian, you know, one of the reasons that we still have this sin nature and this flesh and the things we have to fight, I think is partly too, so we will actually rely on God. And so He will actually get the glory. If all of a sudden when you got saved, you know, it was like the camp meeting preachers teach that you were just this brand new creature physically, to where now you've just got control of sin, then it'll be all about you know you and your glorified self. But no, we actually understand that we still have this sinful flesh, and anything that we do, it's because we're walking in the Spirit. God gets the glory for it. God gets all the credit for it. God wants the glory. That is the most important thing that we glorify God in these things. So to kind of so. I say all this now to just kind of show, you know, have a message, another message within the message, all right? But I think right there we see a lot of good symbolism uh, for things. We've seen the facts of it. But I want to also illustrate a very important truth that we can illustrate from this passage. And I think it's something many people are missing today uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, the Christian world, the IFB world. And so, first off, notice we have a new generation we have a new leader, right? And God's about to magnify uh, this new leader to all the people. While we have a new generation, while we have a new leader, still the same God, isn't it? And still the same power. You know, God's proved here. Nothing's changed when it comes to his power. The new generation, it's just as dependent on God as the previous generation. Right? So that hasn't changed. But notice how God didn't do things exactly the way he did in the previous generation, did he? And you know, it's just something that's interesting about the character of God, and we showed this in the book of Mark, God doesn't always do things the same way twice. Remember with Jesus' miracles? Jesus didn't always do, perform his miracles the same way twice, did he? Sometimes he would just touch a leper. Sometimes he'd just speak the word. You know, when he's healing the blind, sometimes he touched their eyes. One time he spit in the mud and made claim put it in their, uh, put it in their eyes. I mean, but you ever notice how Jesus didn't always do the miracles the same way? Why is that? And I said it back then when we were talking about Mark. If he would have done it the same way every time, you know what we would all get caught up in? We'd all get caught up in the method. There must be something about that spit in the mud, or there must be something about that clay. That's that holy clay over in the holy land on that holy ground. Let's go over to Israel and get some mud and see if we can't use it to get some healing done around here. And if we can get a, a good holy man of God to spit on it, we might make something happen. But no, the thing is, no, nobody does that. You know why? Because 
Jesus never did those things the same way twice. Nobody really talks about the method, do they? But you know what we do talk about? We talk about Jesus. We talk about the guy who actually did it. Because it wasn't about the method. It was about who was behind it. It was about Jesus Christ. And, and, and if he would have always done things the same way, it would. It would be all about methodology. You know what we would do? We would all be going and trying to recreate these situations. We see that when he needed to give them water from a rock, the first time he told Moses to smite the rock. So doesn't it make sense? I mean, we're all mad at Moses for smiting the rock the second time. But wait, God said to speak to it. Yeah, but it worked last time when I hit the rock. So surely we can do it that way again. No, keep your eyes on that Ark of the Covenant. But keep some distance because you don't know what it's going to do. You don't know where it's going to go. You just follow it. You just keep your eyes on the presence of God and you follow it. It's not about the method. It's not about just all these other things. It's, that it's about God, the God who is behind it. And so in... Um, so we, one thing we can't do, we can't just assume that we know exactly what to do about everything. Okay? You know, as a church, we have to keep our eyes on Christ. We've got to remain dependent on Him. And so while it's appropriate for us to learn from good churches, you know, we can't be just copycats about everything, can we? We can't just be copycats on everything. And you know, and I say all this to say, and Please don't take this the wrong way because, listen, I do. Most of the time when people talk about old-time religion, I'm with them, okay? But you know what? Old-time religion, it's turning into a ritualistic superstition that literally has people trying to conjure up a revival through some pretty bizarre methods. And, man, I've been seeing this a lot lately. It's just something that's really been... Uh, burdening me, but like, so, so for example, too, and uh, listen, I'm not trying to be critical, but folks, we've got to understand this. We've got to, we've got to get this in our brains as Baptists. Okay. Now I, I grew up going to tent meetings and things. I love tent meetings. I don't think there's anything wrong with tent meetings, but yet at the same time, you got people out there, you know, promoting tent meetings. And, uh, you know, John Hamlin always says, nothing says old time religion more than a tent meeting. So it's like, okay. Why is that old-time religion? I thought old-time religion came from the Bible. Okay. Now, here's, here's, the, here, here's what they're doing. Okay? We have all these legends about these glorious tent meetings back in the 1800s and 1900s. Okay. Now, um, that meeting we were just at the other day, uh, that old-fashioned camp meeting, it was called. They had a big banner. I've seen this and I saw this in another church too. I was watching a live stream of, of another service where they were having like an old fashioned or an old Paz or some camp meeting, something like that. And they had the same poster on the wall where it's a big crowd of people from like the early 1900s under a tent. And it's like, it's literally what, what they're doing is they're trying to re recreate things that happened back then. But you know what everybody's focused on? They're focused on the tent. They're focused on the atmosphere. They're focused on the music. They're focused on the sawdust. I mean, literally, they, I, I know of meetings where they have prayed over the sawdust. I know meetings where revival broke out. You know, they, it got under the glory spout and people have literally saved the sawdust and have literally taken that sawdust 
two other places where they were going to have a tent meeting. This is, and this is, folks, this isn't with Pentecostals. This is with independent fundamental Baptists. Okay? And, and I might sound like I'm criticizing tent meetings, revival, and all this kind of stuff. But folks, do you not see how we're taking this stuff a little bit too far? We're just getting a little weird with this stuff. We're getting a little, we're getting a little crazy. If you, and you know, and, uh, you know, my wife and girls were talking about this the other day. They were saying we should have an old fashioned Sunday. And, and I just, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not against it. But first off, I don't want to dress up. Okay. I don't want to dress up. But every time churches have an old, and I'm, I'm saying this to just prove, I'm saying this to prove a point. Okay. This, this proves a point. You go to any church that has an old fashioned Sunday. Okay. Old fashioned, old time religion. Okay. And folks, old time religion is in the Bible. You know, if you can't see old time religion in the Bible, I, I don't know which one you're reading. You must be reading the NIV. Okay. So I now, if all I have to do is get up and I say, we're having old fashioned Sunday, old time music, old time singing, you know, we're going to dress old timey. You know how you're all going to dress? Not like they did in the Bible days, 1800s. Isn't that how they always do it? 1800s every time. Now, why are they, now, why do they do that? Again, they're trying to create an atmosphere, you know, from something that they watched on Sergeant York. You know, when they're singing old time religion and Alvin comes to the altar, I don't know if you've seen that. But folks, all of this type of thing, okay? It's like you can't have an old fashioned camp meeting too without having southern preachers. It's like you have to have a southern accent at these things. I don't get that. You know, but at the same time, it's because they're trying to recreate something. You know, the mourner's bench. You got to have all these things. And they work so hard in getting all these things right, literally like they're trying to conjure up the Holy Spirit. But folks, you know what we should just be focusing on is God. It wasn't about the tents. You know why they had tents back then? Because if you were going to go to a city and try to have a big meeting to get a whole lot of people in, they didn't have big enough churches and things. So you know what you do? You'd set up something like a tent because it was just convenient. It was practical. So you could host a whole bunch of people. But you know what? Now we've got, you know, we've got large churches all over the place. In fact, a lot of times large churches will go and set up a tent in their backyard. You know, and I get it. It attracts attention. If you want to do something like that to attract attention, somebody might be more comfortable going under a tent than in a church. That's fine. Okay. That's fine, but, but either way, there is no doubt it is becoming more and more clear all the time that these are ritualistic things that they are using to try to conjure up the Holy Ghost. And what we just need to get focused on is God. Because if God can do a work in it, God can do a work in a tent, He can do a work in a building. God, can, God did some pretty good works out on mountains and out, out in prairies. I mean, folks, it's not about the methodology. It's about the God that we serve. And so what we've got to make sure that we're doing as a church is instead of looking back, okay, instead of looking back at what happened in the previous generation, we should be looking and trying to copy that. We should be looking forward to the God that we're supposed to be following. But you know, the truth is, if a lot of our independent fundamental Baptist leaders would have been there back then, when all these, when Joshua was telling everybody to follow the Ark of the Covenant, You'd have had all these other guys like, well, you know, that ain't the way we did it back in Moses' day. You know, 
I don't remember the priest going and standing in the brim of the water like that. Most man, he stood up there on that rock and he held that staff out just like Charlton Heston. And he, you know, lifted his arms and water split. We walked across. You know, I'm sticking to the old paths. No, listen, same God, same power. God's going to do a little different this time. God, God's got a different way. God's got a different plan. But is, is this not what we're seeing? We're seeing it today where, people, where preachers are constantly uh, criticizing. Okay, how many has been watching the uh, Pastor Anderson Exposed videos he's been putting out? Those have been, those have been very enjoyable. And you know what they keep bringing up? They keep bringing up the internet. How he's using the internet. Okay, you know, nobody would even know who he was if it wasn't for the internet. But wait a minute. I hear you old Paz guys always singing the praise of Oliver B. Green. Now, why did everybody know who Oliver B. Green was? Because he used the radio. And, but you know, that's old Paz. But it's also not near as effective. And I, I know churches too that have raised thousands and thousands of dollars so they can make a radio station that hardly anybody listens to. I know one church, they, did, they spent thousands and thousands of dollars putting up a radio antenna that only gets their local area. They got all this stuff set up too so they could have like an internet radio station and all that kind of thing. And I remember I was watching one of their things and they were having like this big push and they were raising money and all that. And they were like all excited because they got to like 20 or 30 live listeners at one time. And I was just like, I get more than that in some of my live stream sermons. You know, it, I'm like, this, you know, when I do like a regular live stream, you know, that my, my wife gets more than that with the Internet. Okay? Now, I, I like the way the previous generation did it. Yeah, but you know what? It's the same God. Okay? And all we're just trying to do is just to follow his lead, follow his presence. And if we do something a little different every now and then, you know, it's okay. Okay, because it's not about the method. You know, if God's going to use our church and advance our church, it's not because of the internet, it's because of him. It's because of the message of the word of God. The message is powerful. Okay, and that's why things are getting stirred up. Because the message is powerful. And people who are using the internet and using the Bible correctly, you know, are going to make a bigger splash than people who are using a radio, you know, and doing a sorry job, you know, preaching out of Clarence Larkin's dispensational truth. Okay. So, uh, I, I, but yet these are the people that want to criticize us all the time and act like we're horrible people. And the truth is, you know, I do, I still consider myself an old past guy, but I don't worship those things. You know, some people get, some churches get mad when they get chairs instead of pews. And listen, I like pews, but at the end of the day, it's all about seating it's all about what works, what's convenient, what's comfortable, you know, and um, I just, I don't think pews would have been a good idea for in here. And so, you know, but I mean, like, like pews, like God's confined to where he, he can't do a work, you know, if we don't have pews, we got to have chairs, you know, it's just, we, there, there's a problem, you know, there, there's a problem here. So it is, it's very possible that God may do a work today in this generation, and he might use internet instead of radio. He might use he might use preachers with northern accents. Yeah, I hope he does. I ain't very old timey. I, I, I can't help it. I mean, I don't think I should be fake. I like doing it. 
I like preaching with a southern accent, but I just I don't feel right doing it all the time. You know, God might do it in a building instead of a tent. He might not. You know what? God might not use the mourner's bench. I believe God's used the mourner's bench before, but yet I don't see where that's commanded in the scriptures. And yet we are told we have to do it that way. I'm, I'm just watching that Ark of the Covenant. And it's, it, yeah, it might be taken a little different way that I'm not, you know, we haven't seen before. But it's, it's, I'm not seeing where we have to do that. It's not telling me I have to do that. I'm hearing a bunch of old guys looking backwards saying that. And, you know, but I, I just, I don't think we need to do it that way. I don't know exactly how God's going to work. I don't know exactly what's going to happen in the next 10 years. I don't know exactly how God's going to do things. But, you know, what? I'm going to keep my eye on him. I'm going to follow his lead. And all of us as a church, we need to do that. We always need to be seeking after God. We should always be here for Lee Robertson and Lester Roloff and, you know, naming all the guys. And it's just like, I, you know, if I'm looking into Jesus and I see he's in front of me, you know, and those guys were following him too, then he'll be in the rearview mirror. I don't need to check. I, I, I don't see the rearview mirror illustration in the Bible, but I do see looking into Jesus, the author and finisher. And, uh, you know, and God does. It's just, it's in his nature to change things up a little bit. Because if all of a sudden we do, we get, we get a tent or we get pews and we do some of those things, we get oil lanterns instead of electric lights, and then something happens, guess who, who's going to get the credit? Oil lanterns, you know, pews, instead of God. And, you know, God typically, when He shows up and He does a work, usually what you find yourself doing is like, I don't really know how this happened. It must have just been God. And that's the way He wants it. And so that needs to be the focus. Same God... Sometimes he uses a different method. He's not going to change his word. He's not going to contradict himself. But he might, uh, when it comes to a method or how he doesn't, it might change up a little bit. So we should always keep that in mind. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. I thank you so much for this uh, wonderful story, uh, this great example in your word. I help us to take these things to heart. And Lord, help us not to get uh, you know too caught up in just methodologies and uh, following uh, a group or, or men. Lord, help us to just remain focused on you. Help us to just have a hunger and a desire like men like Obed-Edom to just be in your presence and just all of us to keep our eyes on you as a church, uh, as a family. Uh, everything we do in our life, let's keep you the, the focal point and give you all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. With that, let's all stand for our last song, page number 282, Nearer My God to Thee. We'll do the first and last verse and be dismissed. 282.
dismissed.